Welcome back into Crossing Broadcast, the only Philadelphia 6 for 6 podcast. Yes, that's right, 6 for 6. Count them up. You've got the Fusion, the Union, the Flyers, the Phillies, the Eagles, and the Sixers. I don't know. Maybe you could switch out the Sixers for the Soul. I don't know. It's, it's really up to you. Maybe the Kicks. If, you, if you're into the Kicks or the Wings, you can make the Six however you want, but we're here to talk about at least five, maybe six of the Philadelphia sports teams. Russ Joy, at Joy on Broad, joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Kevin Kincaid. Find him on Twitter, at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Kevin. Russ, you know what? If you're not a, if you're not a true six-for-six six Philadelphia sports fan, then I just don't, I don't have any time for you. There's no time. No time for anything. Um, if you're not going to support uh, all, you're, you're all not- six of our local teams, then I don't have any time for you. <laughs> You know, I wonder at what point, like, at what point is it not inclusive enough? Like, six for six is, like, going way over the top. Is there somebody who legitimately <laughs> sits back and follows the Eagles, Sixers, Flyers, Phillies, Union, Soul, Wings, Fusion? Who did the, I miss? Did I miss one? That's eight. A, That's eight teams I just rattled team off. Up in Villanova. The sure, freedoms. let's call that. Okay. Let's, sure. And what about the Atlantic um, City, there, Bla- uh, uh, what's the new football team? Oh, the, 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 the new black, team. The, the black, new um, Blackhawks. The Black, the black Jacks? I, that's Atlantic City, though. Is Atlantic City really is Philadelphia? Phil- I mean, hell, Villanova. <laughs> is Villanova even Philadelphia? Is Villanova so, uh, Philadelphia? We'll take your calls. <laughs> I'm kind of good, dude. Calls I'm, I'm, I think I'm glad we actually didn't record last week when the Villanova is a, is a Philly school thing was going on, you know. Um, we would have had to get Kyle in to, to talk about that, you know. You know, it's surprising and not surprising. Uh, so, of course, the commenters who who rightfully took Kyle to task uh, for him not coming out after the Villanova loss. You know, Kyle Kyle does a really good job of, of trying to uh, evade uh, his his past statements and the, the things that he had written and tweeted. And and then all of a sudden it's just kind of like, yeah, I always knew it was a down year. I knew it was a rebuilding year. I never said it was going to be anything better. But like in Slack, this is the one thing that like I guess people don't see on Twitter. Like in Slack, this dude was like boasting, oh, six seed, that's a disgrace. There's no way. They're not a six seed. What? And then, oh, just wait. Jay Wright, he's going to come out here, man. He's going to have his beautiful suit. He's going to have his pinstripes, man. He's he's going to lead them, man. You think Phil Martelli cares, man? You think Fran Dumpy cares, man? Nah, nah, Jay Wright, man. He's going to lead them from six seed. They're going to win another national championship nobody gave them a chance nobody gave them a chance in the big east tournament well they're here they're here and they're gonna they're gonna do it and then it's like no no they're not <laughs> well the other thing the weird thing all. about it too is i can't write anything pro villanova for the site without people coming out and saying well you're just kissing kyle's ass you're just doing villanova things because you want to get on his good side um no i mean like he doesn't order me to write he didn't like kyle didn't say to me i want you to write about Villanova being a Philly school. Like I have total autonomy to do that kind of stuff. So it wasn't like I was kissing his ass when I was writing about that or Phil Martelli or anything, but real quickly without spending too much time on it. Uh, you know, the argument I was making is we all talk a big game about how Millville Mike Trout is so Philly, even though he signed a four bazillion dollar deal <laughs> to stay in Anaheim. Uh, he's such a Philly guy when Millville's like 45 miles away, but Villanova is like 15 miles away and Villanova plays a bunch of home games in the Philadelphia city limits. And Villanova has banners hanging in the Wells Fargo center and Villanova did two parades in Philadelphia city limits. I know what people are saying. It's like an attitude thing and it's like what the people are like or whatever. But I'm just telling you as a neutral, it's just, it's all dumb because this is the, the greater Delaware Valley. It's like the eighth biggest metropolitan statistical area 
in the country. So this is all one big region. It's all kind of a, the geography thing is just like dumb to me. Like if you're going to make the argument, do it, do it with something other than the city limits. Cause half of St. Joe's now, isn't half of St. Joe's in Montgomery County. Didn't they yep. like annex some or take over some other building that is actually in Montgomery County. I Plus their so. campus yes. is like 10 feet away from Montgomery County. The rest of it was anyway, you know? So yep. anyway, yep. Yep. This is the thing that I don't get. And and look, you and I didn't grow up in Philadelphia, Bo, right? Like we grew up, I mean, you're technically, is Boyertown technically like a suburb, sort of like a northwest I suburb know. I think of when Philly? you get into Berks, when you get I mean, into Berks County, it stops okay. being the suburbs. Yeah. yeah, but you're like, that's like the the first town as soon as you hit Berks, Yeah, but like technically go Boyertown. Through, go, like leave Chesco into Montco. Yeah, but and then, Boyertown is closer yeah. to Redding, Redding and Allentown. So like are we a, are we a Philly suburb or are we a... Reading, yeah, maybe not. So I mean, you're there. All right. So boy, so Boyertown in Berks. I of course grew up in Pottsville in Schuylkill County. By the way, big get for uh, Schuylkill County business, Yingling Brewery. They got Aaron Nola as a uh, as a brand ambassador. That's a big, that's a big deal. Big deal for the coal region. Aaron Nola, man, what a what a guy. He passed off the uh, the business to his daughters, and they're doing a killer job. Oh, really? So uh, kudos to them. Feel free to send some free product over to us at any point. Is Dick Yingling still alive? Oh, okay. Yeah, he just gave he's still the there. business to yeah, his yeah. daughter. But he's he's been he's been putting them, uh, I think, in more charge. Usually, so the the tradition with the Yingling family is you don't hand the business down. The um, the next generation has to buy it off you. Well, that's obviously a lot more complicated since Dick Yingling yeah. took over. The business has boomed. They've expanded. So forget exactly how that uh, how that's working out. But I think all f- I think it's four daughters. Uh, of the Yingling family wow, are Dick now Yingling had running running the day to day operations. Wow. Yep, I'm, a, I'm How about a, it. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't think there were any boys. I think that was that, that was stunned, the whole thing. Yeah. That's awesome, four man. Good for him. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, what, <laughs> what, what are we saying? St- oh yeah, that's right. Scoop, oh, scoop. Okay, scoop so um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just you know, uh, for for me at least, to me, Villanova and St. Joe's and LaSalle and Drexel and Temple, like they're all Philly schools. Right. Like, I don't I don't actually care what neighborhood your school's in. I don't care if you are in South Philly and North Philly and West Philly. Is there an East Philly? Like, I don't care. No, I think as East, long as East you're affiliated with the, with the with the. Yeah. OK, there we go. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Millville, because Millville is definitely Philadelphia. That's right. <laughs> Philadelphia proper. Like, look, these these schools to me as an uncultured uh, Schuylkill County swine, yeah. I guess. Like, to me, Villanova is a Philly school. Now, I, I guess, you know, people get, you know, you always say people get provincial or whatever, but, like, I don't care what neighborhood it is, right? Like, if it's a few miles outside of the school, I remember the parade happening in Philadelphia. I don't remember this being a, you know, we're not going to go into the city of Philadelphia for a Villanova parade. And I'm pretty sure that just about anybody in the Tri-County area tried to go to that parade and was heralding them as a Philadelphia champion. Remember, it went oh, the Eagles yeah. Super Bowl parade, and then there that. was like there was the then there was like the big you know oh we're the city of champions. We had the Super Bowl champions. Now we got Villanova again. Like oh city of champions. It's like well that's great, but now you can't sit back. Like look, I get it. If you're a St. Joe's fan, or if you're a Temple fan, or if you're a Penn fan, or if you're a LaSalle fan, or a Drexel fan, your teams suck. I get it. It's a shame. It's awful. I went to a D2 school. You think I honestly sit down and wonder about how Westchester University is doing on the basketball court? No. Do I care? Yeah, a little bit I do. But, like, that doesn't mean that I'm going to say, hey, you know what, Kutztown's a Apache school. I'm going to root against them. No, if they manage to get themselves into the D2 playoffs, like, I'm going to root well, for them, sure. Like, you play against them. This is well, so like stupid neutral, yeah, to me. You're, like, you're a Big Five neutral. I'm a Big Five neutral because we didn't go to Big Five schools. 
So like I remember 15 years ago, I was a freshman at West Virginia when Jameer Nelson and Delonte West and St. Joe's were 30 and two. So like I cheered for them. I wanted them to win. Absolutely. You know, and like I wanted Temple to win in the tournament. Um, you know, when they were playing on in the playing game on Tuesday night. So I don't, I don't understand. Like I, like I get it. If you went to Temple, I'm not asking you to cheer for Nova. I wouldn't expect you to because they're a rival. If you went to LaSalle, I wouldn't ask you to cheer for Penn because they're a Big Five, another Big Five team. You know, but for neutrals uh, in this um, area who don't have a dog in the fight either way, I don't. I don't understand why you wouldn't, why you would cheer against that because these are all local regional kids. Like. Um, you know, I feel like it's just jealousy. Like that—that—that's that, the only thing. And like, I—I well, I, I have no—I have no horse in this race. Like, yeah, I don't I care. See, I want to see. You, you can't even say that. Like, I'm a—I'm a Nova Homer. Like, I don't care. If—if if Saint Joe's all of a sudden with, uh, um, who are they interviewing? Lang, Lang, right? From Lang, Lang from uh from the Sixers staff. Like, if if he ends up going there, and now all of a sudden, like they make the tournament next year, they make like the Sweet mm-hmm. Sixteen. Like, I'm gonna cheer for them. I cheered for Phil Martelli. And, and his squad when Jameer Nelson and Delonte West were there. I went to my Baba's house. I made Halupkis. I cheered for them. Like, it, what's the I don't know. I, I, think it's just, I think a lot They're of people Philadelphia just say that. A lot of people them. say, like, people just pick where they want to, where they want to be from when it works for them. Like, if, like, if Philly is dirty and shitty or, like, something bad happens in Philadelphia, I, I don't know, something unfavorable happens in Philly, you could, Villanova, people could just say, well, we're not a Philly school. But then... If, you know, they wanted to be included in Philadelphia, they could say, oh, well, we are. I mean, they just people just pick what's convenient for them. And half the people who are making this argument in the first place are like white suburban kids who didn't grow up in Philadelphia anyway. You know, it's like white kids who go to Temple who grow up in Berks County or it's like kids from Connecticut who come down to Villanova who aren't even even from this region. And it's all a bunch of non-Philadelphia people arguing about what's Philadelphia and what's not. That's why the whole thing's kind of corny in the first place, isn't it? But, you know, I can get behind yeah. cheering for a guy like Mikhail Bridges who went to Great Valley or Ryan yep. Archidiacono who went to where in Bucks County? Like, where did he go to school again? Somewhere. Did he go to Bishop? Uh, I thought up. he was from, like, Langhorn or something, but I can't remember. But, I mean, and then you got, like, guys like Cosby Roundtree who come from, like, Newman Goretti in Center City. So, <laughs> if anything, it's like, isn't it easy? Archidiacono went to Neshaminy. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, that's in Langhorn. Uh. Yeah. So, um. Okay. But then I'm sitting here thinking like everybody goes crazy for the professional teams around here. We 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 in Philadelphia like to talk a big game about how, how we're so Philadelphia, we're so provincial, and like the cheesesteak this and the you know I vacationed in Wildwood for 45 years and all this shit. The people who play for our professional teams are from Cameroon and Australia and Pittsburgh and Chicago and Bismarck, North Dakota or whatever you know. So like what what yep. you know. We're all Philly all the time, and we talk about how Philly we are, but then we go out and we go crazy for dudes who have nothing to do with this city other than getting drafted here or getting traded here or some signing in free agency. We're just talking about arbitrary lines on a piece of oh, land. I know, right? I know. And, you know. and ultimately, ultimately, it's like Joel Embiid always said, oh, we're all from Africa. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah, they asked him about so. somebody. Somebody asked him about election day, and they said, "Do you have any thoughts on like election day or voting or something?" And he said, "I don't know. I'm from Africa." <laughs> <laughs> but listen, do you want to? Since we just talked about the costing, do you want to talk about Martelli real quick? Because I had some Phil Martelli thoughts. Yeah. Yes. Um, hold on. Let me let me get out my uh, my violin yeah. real quick for yeah. the uh, the sad the sad so the listen, sad song so of like, uh, Phil Martelli. Of, like, with everything we just said as like a preface, like I don't, 
I, I thought he said I thought he came across really bad on that WIP interview with with Angelo, which was last Thursday, something like that. Um, he sounded like a guy who was kind of in denial that his job would ever be forfeit or that he would ever be replaced or ever be removed there, you know? And like, I'm trying to look at it from the perspective of a guy who's like, I'm 34 years old. Okay. Phil Martelli has been at St. Joe's for 34 years. (laughs) So he's been there for my entire lifetime. 10 years as an assistant, 20 as a head coach or 19 as a head coach, 19 and a half as a head head coach. And that's also half of his lifetime because he's 65, 60 something, mid sixties. And so, like, I get it. He's obviously emotional, and, like, that's his life's work is that program and building them into what they are. But then if you look at the other half of it, they've got one tournament win since the 2004 year with Jameer Nelson. So, and then you look at the last three years. Well, take the last 10 years with that one tournament win out in Spokane. Um, They won two Atlantic 10 tournament titles, but they don't have a regular A-10 championship. So it's like, at some point, like... You just got to, like, the results on the floor matter. You know what I mean? I don't know how St. Joe's mm-hmm. alums, I don't know how, like, other big five people look at, like, the overall health of the program and graduating players and, like, doing things the right way, how much they value that and they weigh that versus actually winning games. But at some point after 24 years, like, you can find somebody who can do all of those things, can graduate players, run a good program, run a clean program, all that stuff and still be more competitive in the Atlantic 10 than they were. You know, it's like 24 years. Man. Can, you imagine, mm-hmm. can you imagine if we gave Andy Reid 24 years here? No, it's the same with Fran Dunphy, um, too, but I got the feeling like my the people that I talked to and just like interaction on social media and stuff like that, I felt like Temple people were more ready for Fran to go than the average well, St. Had a year. Well, I, I, yes, but even, bef- even before there, that, see, I felt like they were they, more people were on the, okay, if we need to do better bandwagon, whereas St. Joe's, I didn't feel You know it what I much. think it was, though, Kevin? I might be wrong, and, and this is, you know, I will never say that I follow college sports much, right? Like, I, I only care about college basketball during the tournament. But if I remember correctly, Fran Dunphy had a very successful tenure at Penn, and then when he got brought into Temple, the idea was, okay, for as for as well as he did as a coach of an Ivy League school that wasn't a basketball powerhouse relative to the rest of the nation, not just you know the Ivy League schools, imagine what he'll be able to accomplish with a better recruiting pool that he can oh, have right, at Temple, right, right. Yeah, yeah. right? And so it felt like he was going to get this like increase of resources in a sense, and that Temple was already an established program, one that on a national stage had a a bigger profile perhaps than Penn did, regardless of the fact that, that Penn had won Ivy League titles. And so it was just kind of like, okay, you have this guy who's like made a, a small budget work, for example, and now you're going to give him better resources to go out and get the guys that he mm-hmm. wants, right? But I, I think what people expected versus what, what they actually got, you know, I think it was a disappointment. But the problem is that I don't think that a lot of Temple fans at least initially wanted to admit the fact that this really isn't going anywhere. Like, this isn't working like we thought it would. For me, I, I thought that that maybe Temple should have pulled the plug on this a few years ago. And I get what you're saying now, that, like, they were pretty much ready to move on. They had Aaron McKee waiting in the wings, and it kind of felt like, you know, passing it off to him, like, maybe he would be a better recruiter, and, like, maybe Aaron McKee would be able to bring some new lifeblood to the, to the, um, to the university and to that program. And I, I guess I get it in a sense, but like, I think it was just kind of, it, it was ultimately a, a great idea conceptually, but it was something that never netted the results that, that Temple had, you know, hoped for, which I think would have been, 
you know, there's no reason that Temple, in theory, shouldn't have been able to take a, a guy like Dumphy and the resources they had available and, and build a team that could make a Sweet 16. And it just yeah, just never yeah, really yeah. happened. No, I get it. And um, look, I mean, I, I do think that St. Joe's handled Martelli's firing the wrong way. Like, I, I'm not I'm not saying that, like, doing it the Temple way was was the right way, but it might have been a better way, you know, or just treat the guy better on his way out, write up a nicer press release, honor the dude. I mean, they'll, they'll do all of that eventually. They will honor him and you know, name something after him or put a statue up somewhere, whatever the hell, you know, but at the time it felt like it was rushed and it was kind of callous and it was whatever. I know that the new athletic director's only been there for like a year and a half, Jill, um, Jill, what's her face, Steiner or whatever, and that the other guy, DeHulia, had been there for 35 years or whatever the hell, right? So he always knew that nothing was going to happen while he was there, but yes, I felt like they handled it the wrong way. Yes, I also felt like it was the correct decision, and Phil, I think, was I just was like, probably should have taken a couple more days or something before doing that interview with Angela or whatever. He just it seemed like the the emotions just like kind of overtook him. You know what I mean? So, yep. um, do you want to go from basketball to basketball? Do you want to do Sixers? Uh, yeah, let's go there. Okay, so where are you at with this team right now? Like, are you woe is me after the the two losses after the six straight wins or what? This isn't fun. This is not fun. This is not what I signed up it's for. It's laborious, dude. This it's is just like so everything. I blame so you. Negative. I blame so, you. This you is what happened me? with the union. You know, this is what happened with the Philadelphia Union. There was so much excitement, and then Kevin Kincaid covered the team, and then pretty soon it was just like, oh, I'm just kidding. It's not your fault. <laughs> yeah, it's no, no, not no. my fault. No, right? but, no, it, it just, dude, it's just cumbersome. Can man. we just it's like let's, it's so let's, everybody? Let's why just is be honest. It's, no, here's let me ask you this question. Ahead. I'm gonna ask you a question. Why do six? Why do I get the feeling that Sixers fans more than any other? fan base in the city as soon as there's anything negative to turn to or to harp on they go right to that right away like i feel like the sixers greater fan base overreacts to every loss and underreacts to every good win no i agree with that uh i think it it really is sixers more than anyone um Man, that that really is a good point. This team's going to win like 53, 53 games. Yeah, you know what it is though. It's because of the when we used to talk about the idea of of a sliding scale. This was like a Lefko thing. He was always big on the idea of sliding scale. And to me, like I think that's where you end up getting these these like ridiculous pendulum swinging fan reactions. Like to me, I like to kind of keep my head on straight about what I expect from a team. And I think you you've got a few things at play here that are that are problematic. When I say this team isn't fun. It's like you look at them on paper and they're the most talented Sixers team of, of my lifetime. Like this is this is a team that is so much better than the early Allen Iverson years. This is better than anything in the transitional phase to Andre Iguodala, to the Evan Turner team, to the Philly Max Elton brand squad. Like this is the best team of the last, what, 20 years, 25 years? And mm. it, it just feels like a chore to watch them every night. You know, sure, they have their moments where it feels like Tobias Harris is fitting into the system well. Jimmy Jimmy Butler ends up being, you know, passive for the first three quarters. Then he manages to go and, and take over a fourth quarter. Ben is getting the offense up and down at, at you know, breakneck speed and then finding his, his positioning off ball in the dunker spot. And Joel Embiid is, you know, playing as one of the, perver- like, really the perennial candidates for, you know, MVP, although he's not getting a lot of national steam on that on that end. Um, 
and and you just kind of feel like for some reason this this team just isn't enjoyable and i think mostly it's because the bench has been awful the rotations that people have criticized well, they're, brett so, brown they're for, so top they're so top yeah it, it's like yeah. you know i criticized brett brown's rotations at the end of last season i i don't think he was a, I think ultimately Brett Brown is going to go down as a guy who is not a good in-game manager. He's an excellent coach for everything else. Like he's, you, he's a very you, good macro. He's a very good macro level kind of coach. Yes. Like micro, I think is where his shortcomings are. Yes, so and I, I think he needs to find assistant coaches who do a better job with the micro. Like I, I'm starting to think. I know that it's easy to kind of throw this towards like the the Frank Reich and John DiFilippo argument with Doug Peterson, but like. I wonder oh, how big of a, yeah, no, no, I wonder how big of a, a I honestly do wonder how big of a loss Lloyd Pierce was. I'm not sure. Like no, I, again, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not there. I I don't know what exactly Lloyd Pierce did for this team and and did as an assistant coach or or the defensive well, Billy schemes Lang, that, Billy that Lang he installed. Did not coach, yeah, Billy Lang was not involved like defensively last year. You know, I mean, this was kind of a different. We do know it was a different role for him this year. You know. So it wasn't exactly like you were taking Lloyd Pierce, who was like a defensive specialist, and replacing him with a defensive specialist. It was just taking somebody who was already on your staff and giving them a new role. You know what I mean? Because yeah. Billy Lang was already on the staff last year. I don't. I don't want to say. I don't want to invoke like Juan Castillo because I don't think it's Juan Castillo. But back then, remember, I mean, it wasn't. Nobody was disputing that Juan Castillo wasn't a good uh, offensive line coach, right? Yep. Yep. But like defensive coordinator so a totally different thing you know it was just trying to like lie to yourself we were like well an offensive line coach he's got a he's got a scheme against defensive schemes so then he should be able to install defensive <laughs> schemes yeah. so we can, like, it's like that's not how this that works yeah i know that's I know. not exactly how this works so like th- this is the problem that I, I think i keep running into it feels like the the anti-brett brown crowd has gotten a lot louder and i think rightfully so to some extent um I find myself in in this kind of a spot, Kevin. So I don't know how much of this you you relate to. Mm-hmm. When when Hinky came in and everything got torn down, I found a lot of comfort in watching this team build its way up. Right, like I I was a process truster to the to the nth degree. I went yeah. to lottery parties from the rights to Ricky Sanchez. I enjoyed it. I loved. On their podcast, I love when Mike Levin would go find a random guy who I'd never heard of and give you a full breakdown. And I thought that was honestly when when they were at their best was that kind of off the cuff stuff. That was what made them so different. And as we've gotten into this transitional phase of going from a bunch of obscure guys and and 10 day contracts and we started to become more of a mainstream team. And now all of a sudden there's really nothing that's different about the Sixers or their process now versus any other top team in the league. I think we've all just kind of hit this moment where where we realize that nothing right now is that special. We have two special talents in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, right? I, that is indisputable. You have mm-hmm. a top 25, top 30 player in Jimmy Butler and and another one in Tobias Harris. But outside of that, like there there is nothing that you can hang on to with this team where you say, we're building to something bigger. Like this is the moment. This is the thing. This is the time. That that because of Elton Brand's moves this uh, this season and really that collective's moves in the off season, they they changed the entire timeline. If if the Sixers had gone in gone through this season, had lost in the first round again, and then went into next or into this off season pursuing a guy like Tobias Harris or pursuing a guy like Jimmy Butler, and of course they would have to work yeah. with the numbers, and they and they just 
supplement it that way. Like, I think that would have been more in line with what we were expecting. But when they brought, when they gutted this team from Dario Sarge, Robert Covington, they brought in Jimmy Butler, like that changed expectations. And then you doubled down on that by going out and acquiring Tobias Harris. And now it feels like everybody on the national stage says the Sixers are definitely going to have to, uh, you know, give a max extension to Tobias Harris. The Jimmy Butler thing is up in the air. You don't know if he's going to end up going to like Brooklyn or New York if, if the Sixers only offer him, say, like three years. And ultimately, like, this team has no bench, and that is the thing that has killed them in the regular season. I can flip this on its head, and this is the the reason that, like, a team like Milwaukee doesn't scare me, and why I don't think the, the depth is nearly as big of a problem as people have made it out to be in the regular season. That's in the postseason, you're going to shorten your bench. You're going to shorten your rotation to, what, maybe nine guys, ten on a bad night if somebody gets into foul it's trouble. Like 8.5, So it, yeah. it's like Milwaukee can boast a, a lineup that has like 12 guys deep that can go in at any time, hit a three and, and be contributors. But in the postseason, that doesn't really matter. I mean, you're in theory, you should not see Amir Johnson. You shouldn't see TJ McConnell getting 29 minutes in a game. That to me is still an issue. But like, ultimately, you're going to ride your, your four stars and JJ Redick for better or worse. You're going to ride those guys for what? 40 odd minutes a night in the postseason, And that's what they're getting paid to do. Well, because they're top. Well, because they're top heavy, it does put more stress. It, it, it meet when one of those guys is off, it's they're stretched, you know, that's, that stresses the rest of the lineup more than it normally would. Like if the bucks, because the bucks are deeper, if one guy's having an off night, they can pull somebody off the bench. To, yeah, they can, but like, them, but that's, you know? but whereas the Sixers, the Sixers can't escape without having you know Simmons out you see what happens yeah when that's true Ben's but not out there or you see what happens when JJ shoots one for seven or something yeah and the, but the counter to that is like you're not gonna see like Nikola Miritic go in as a as a second unit guy for Milwaukee and and find himself matched up against like a Jonah Bolden or like an Amir Johnson who's playing out of position on a switch right yeah. like that's not gonna happen because the Sixers aren't gonna be rolling with those guys late in games so yes while offensively uh you know a Milwaukee might be able to swap out one piece for another the six the Sixers standing across from him is going to be a much better player we would hope yeah, but that helps them but that helps Milwaukee get the one seed while the Sixers are you know flopping around at the third seed it does know? I just I just have this this long-standing theory and I went on um with Mike Gill uh, his show on 97.3 down in um, Atlantic City. And I just have a fe- I just feel like there's this large portion of Sixers, of like so-called Philadelphia sports fans who really, really want to see the Sixers fail just for the fact that they don't like Sam Hinkie and Brett Brown, anything related to the process. And they don't like any, they don't like people telling them that the process was the right way to do it. And this is how you rebuild and stuff like that. It was a very divisive time. You know what I mean? It was yep. like very, very. It stretched to it stretched a fan base really, really far on one side, and then really, really, really far on the other side, where you had some people who would say Hinky can do no wrong, and Brett Brown can do no wrong, and you know Brian Colangelo's a snake, and and whatever, right? You have all that on one side, and then you have all these people on the other side who say the process is a joke. They lost on purpose. Embiid sucks. Simmons sucks. He can't shoot. Blah blah blah. Brett Brown's a joke, and they want and they kind of want to see it fail. To, they would rather be right than actually see this team win. Like they want to justify their thought that the process was a failure. And then on the other side, you have people that want to justify their thought that the process was the right way to do it. You know? So I feel like there's this, this massive like dichotomy among hardcore Sixers fans and sort of the more casual people who weren't really on board with all the hinky shit, which just makes all this very laborious for somebody like me. Who's just like, 
of, of media member who's like trying to like be in the middle, trying to find some kind of. Why aren't you calling for them to fire Brett Brown, Kevin? Where's yeah, your dude, gut? Like, Stop trying to be nice to the guy. Just do do your job, this Kevin. Team, this team won six games in a row where they beat Indy, Boston, and Milwaukee in there, and then nobody said shit about that. But then people come flying out of the woodwork when they lose a bad game to the Atlanta Hawks, like as if they're just like waiting. They're just waiting to be negative. Why the fuck are people? interested in being so negative about this team like i, I don't understand it's because it. the, trey young looks like a guy that you just, that you ran into in college at a 7-eleven <laughs> buying a buying two hot dogs for two dollars i'm not saying that the way that people feel is not justified like if you don't think that brett's a good coach that's fine i mean you're perfectly justified in thinking that i just feel like people are like like just waiting waiting for anything to negative to happen just jumping right on it so let me talk people off the ledge all right go ahead consider this Sixers are forty-seven and twenty-seven. Okay, they're going to win more games than they won last season. They're six and two over their last eight. All right, they beat Indy, Boston, and Milwaukee. Um, the wins over the Celtics and the Bucks, you know, helped combat that narrative that they can't beat the best teams. Right? Um, they're going to be the three seed in the playoffs. Uh, they're not catching Toronto and Milwaukee, and they never were. Okay. You know, the, but all, all three of those teams have easy schedules coming down the stretch. Uh, this current starting lineup has played something like ten games together. Okay. Um, this time last year, Joel Embiid broke his face and had to go through the mask thing. It was broken by whom? Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz. This time last year, four of the five Sixers starters had zero postseason experience. Zero. Okay. This year, all five starters have played in the playoffs. All right. This time last year, the head coach had never coached a playoff game. Okay. He's coached 10 of them now. Um,. This time last year, the bench was Marco Bellinelli, Ursan Ilyasova, and TJ McConnell. This season, it's it's who? It's it's Ennis, Mike Scott, uh, Boban, maybe just in the first round. I mean, that's not amazing, but I, like with Ennis and Scott, I think that's a defensive improvement over what you had from Bellinelli and Ilyasova against the Celtics, you know? Yep. So, I mean, I, I don't – there is – I'm not – again, I'm not saying that people are – unjustified in feeling the way that they do about Brett Brown or about this team. But holy fuck, dude, they're going to win 50 games for the second time in a row for the first time since the eighties. And they have a shot to get out of the second round. They do have a ton of talent. So I, I've just never, I'm just like baffled at how quickly people are to be negative about this team. It just seems like it's, it's amplified for whatever the hell reason. I really, I really don't know what it is. <sighs> All right. Anyway, it, it really is frustrating. To, uh, it it is. There's no. It is. I just. Said, I, I know that people get real negative about Eagles losses and stuff like that, and, and you know, but those are spaced out. Yeah, I, think, I think that's, and it's that's the big. That's sit the big there and sit there and harp on it for a while. You know, you can talk about it all week on sports radio about how much of a how how bad Doug Peterson's one play one play call out of fifty was or something. You know, but like with the Sixers, it's like, dude, they build up all this goodwill. They won six games in a row, and they lose to the Atlanta Hawks on a buzzer beater and a crappy turnover at the end, and then all of a sudden it's the same shit over and over and over again. Fire Brett Brown. This guy's soft. This guy sucks. This guy didn't show up. This guy didn't try. This guy put in no effort. It's like, dude, the NBA season is a grind, dude. It is a grind. It is long. They're not going to be dialed in every single game. Do they need to be more dialed in? Yes. The the, the effort in Orlando was pathetic. And, like, as far as I'm concerned, you either have that killer instinct and that will to win or you don't. Yep. Like the coach can be a motivational speaker and he can be a psychotherapist and he can sit down, try to babysit 15 grown men. But at the end of the day, his job is to coach and these guys have to show up. You either want, you either want it or you don't want it. And there's really no in between, you know? Let me just put this out here just so I can come back to it when it happens. When Brett Brown eventually gets fired, I don't know when it'll be, 
Um, I know who the replacement's going to be. Okay. It's going to be Monty Williams. I would not be surprised at some point if, if that move ends up getting made. I don't think it's going to be you this offseason. season. fire Brett Brown from Monty Williams? Yep. Because I there are, there are a couple of reasons for it. Um, one is Monty Williams has a... Uh, he also is part of the pop tree. He's also somebody who's worked in San Antonio's front office. He has head coaching experience with the Pelicans, where he uh, worked with Anthony Davis and, and um, knows how to manage those kind of... Uh, of egos and i think ultimately he's a guy that has respect of the players as well i don't know what he does now honestly like that that is the uh the big question well, he, mark he was here. he was brought in to be an offensive and and special teams and sets and plays kind of guy this year that was what he was he was brought in to be but he's more he's more that's his focus but he's also kind of the de facto number two yeah so, so really he's like a day-to-day assistant number two to brett brown he also does some offensive side of the ball. Billy Lang is the defensive guy who took over for Lloyd Pierce, and Kevin Young is, is number four. And I think ultimately that's going to be the thing that, like, anytime somebody comes after Brett Brown, and this happens in Slack a lot, it's like, all right, we'll fire Brett Brown. All right, well, who's there? Like, who who is available right now that you can go over? Mike Budenholzer is not a free agent coach, you know? You saw what happened. He, he gets brought in. And it's not like, you know, taking over for Sam Presti is a hard thing to do. Um, but, like, he managed to maximize the talent that he had, right? And he's probably going to win. Joe, he's, Joe Prunty. Yep. Oh, yeah, Joe. Joe Prunty. Uh, what did I say? Preston, Sam, Sam Presti's the GM. <laughs> Sam Presti's the GM. Oh, my God. Oklahoma City. Anyway, uh, yeah, Joe Prunty. See, I don't even know the guy's name. I can picture him, though. Same I can thing. picture his yeah. – uh, yeah, he kind of looked, yeah. like uh, like looked like a sim. 12-man playoff yeah. rotation or whatever. Um, but look, <laughs> look he looks – he does, seriously. Prunty looks like, like a, a creative yeah. character in The Sims. Anyway, yeah. um. I, I think ultimately, like, when you talk about what guy is available, I don't think there really are any good free agent coaches that are just kind of sitting out there. If you want to try to make a case for, like, Stan Van Gundy's of the world and Jeff Van Gundy's of the world, like, by all means. I know that some people have been clamoring for Mark Jackson, but to me, like, Mark Jackson's the same kind of guy. He's a guy who, you know, was able to get Golden State to a point where they were ready to take that next step. Yeah. And maybe that's the kind yeah, of coach yeah, yeah. that Brett Brown ends up being, where he's the guy who gets everything in place but can't get you over the hump. He's like a Doug Collins, right? Doug Collins did that. And then uh, Phil Jackson well, I mean, took over, and, I, and you, I, know, I, you have a, a Dynasty Bulls team. I don't know. I like Brett Brown. He seems like a good guy. The players I think he's like done him. A good, good, I think he's done a good in-game. I think he did a good in-game job against Milwaukee and against Boston. Like, I do. I felt like he, t- he took... In the Milwaukee game, he took a timeout with like eight minutes after the Sixers like airballed two three pointers and got beat to two loose balls. Okay, he took his first timeout there. Then he took the second timeout when uh, Connaughton hit that three uh, in response to Jimmy Butler's three. Took another timeout there. And in Boston, in the Boston game, he just did exactly what Brad Stevens does. You know, he just identified the mismatch, saw that Kyrie Irving was on Tobias Harris. So he made Tobias Harris the screener in a 34 pick and roll, and they got the mismatch onto Kyrie. Like, it's just the same thing that Brad Stevens does. And this is not, like, elite-level coaching by any means, but, like, the Celtics just, you know, they they posted up Jalen Brown on uh, J.J. Redick, and they got a foul off of that, and then they put J.J. in two pick and rolls. Okay, so it's not like either one of these coaches was, like, operating at a super elite level, but they both correctly identified the biggest defensive mis- mismatch, and they just went right at it. That you know the Sixers made more plays than the Celtics down the stretch, but I don't. But like, isn't that what people were asking Brett Brown to do? Like, put Jimmy Butler in pick and rolls and <laughs> isolation and stuff like that. Like, is he not doing what people were complaining about earlier in the year? Yeah, I, 
I like, but then when he does that against Atlanta, then people say, well, give the ball to Embiid. Well, I mean, Butler just won you the last game doing the exact same thing. So I don't think people know what they want because he's doing what they complained about like two months ago. Yep. So I, he's in a position. The only thing he can do is if, if he somehow goes out and and gets this team to the conference final and it's competitive, I think like ultimately if you lose to Toronto in the conference final, then I think he's fine. Right. If they somehow, you think he's fine. I think he's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think like, well, but, but like how many games, like if they lose, well, if they get that's, swept, that's by what I'm Raptors. getting to. So like, I'm worried if I, I like first round matchup, I prefer Detroit any day over Brooklyn because Brooklyn, I think just has better guards. I'm not as worried. Like let Blake Griffin get Brooklyn his, Brooklyn might not, Brooklyn might not even make the playoffs, man. You see their schedule. No, I haven't looked at, at their final. They still got to play. They got, they play at Philly on Thursday. Then their next three are like Indiana, Milwaukee and Boston. Sounds like undefeated to, to me. They have to play at Milwaukee and then they close with like, some other non-playoff team, but like right, dude, that's they, they might. I mean, I honestly think the Sixers and the Heat might play again ew. three six. Ew, ew, ew. If the Sixers end up having like a six-game first-round series, that would be a, a very bad sign. Uh, if I think if you can get to the conference finals, like look, if you play Toronto and you take it to like six, I think you're fine. Like I think Brett Brown's fine. I think it'd be a disappointment. I think with all the expectations, it would be a disappointment. But then, like again, Toronto's got Kawhi Leonard. So they they, they to- have a they have a better overall team than the Sixers do, and then you're really... Okay, so let me ask you this. So let me ask you this. If, if the Sixers play Toronto in uh, the second round and they lose 4-1, to one, what, what would you fire, Brett? I think there's going to have to be a long conversation. 4-1 to one or doesn't... Would you four, just, four to... Or would you just make the decision that like he's on a short leash going into the next year? Well, then, I mean, then that, like, that really is... Then, then that's the Monty Williams principle. Right, like if if you go into next season and say like we have to come out like gangbusters to start the season or Brett's Brett's in trouble, then that means that you had the intention of just having Monty Williams take over that job, right? If yeah, if I you do it think... if you do it in the off season, then you're you're opening this up to be you know a, a giant search again. And like I, I again, I don't know who's out there right now that this front office might be interested in pursuing. And I think there's still a little comp Brown that like. I think Brett has a, of of pull and a, a lot of respect of the ownership group, so I don't think it's going to be a decision that they make easily by any stretch. Um, I, I just I just kind of wonder at at what point no. you know is is something going to give if they get swept. Look, if they get swept in the second round of the playoffs, well, it's not going to come from Elton. It's not going to come if, from If it's four one, I think four one does not play well. Even oh, if they're yeah, competitive yeah, yeah, games, yeah, yeah. it doesn't play well. 4-2 is, is what it no. is. If you get to seven games, you say, all right, we didn't have the depth. We're going to go back. We're going to address. We're going to bring back Jimmy and Tobias, and we're going to fill out this team. We'll probably move on from JJ, and we're going to have a, a more complete team next year. But now we're going to give these guys time to to uh, you know make it work together. I don't know. All right, so um, what do you, where do you want to go next? Do you want to do, do your Flyers point? You had a Flyers point, I think, written down in here. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury the Philadelphia Flyers, not to praise them. You have the evil, the, a... the the evil and losing streaks that Flyers commit lives after them. The good and the winning streaks are often turred with their bones. So let it be with the Flyers. Yeah, who wrote that one? That was uh, that's Mark Anthony. Come on, now. Mark Anthony. Yeah, it's an Mark, Iron Maiden. No, an not Iron Mark Maiden, Anthony. So. Mark Anthony. No, I'm not. That's that's what I said. It's that's also an Anthony. iron. No, I'm not talking about the the dude in with uh, who does. Uh, it was with Jennifer Lopez, right? Didn't he date Jennifer Lopez? Yeah, he married her twice. Yeah, and he's got the clothing line at uh, the department store, right? 
the Mark Anthony line. Yeah, he does. I I bought one of his shirts once. Dude, such a comfy shirt. Yeah, they so fit, they fit me really well, man. Do um, they? Whoa. Me and Mark hey, Anthony. Hey. Me and Mark Anthony must have like the same exact body type or something. So um, I have to talk to him at some point. Is that something you're proud of? Oh uh, well, he's kind of an in shape, like lean kind of dude, you know. Hmm. So I guess maybe. I don't. He he seems lean. He doesn't I never really thought about that. Do I? This is the sound of your shirts. That's what I sound like when I wear one of these shirts. Sit the lucky. All right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, KBN. Um, hey, fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, two years for Michael Raffle. Does that excite? Would you be excited if you were a Flyers fan for no. that? No, here's the problem though. This is this is like typical overreacting Flyers Twitter, which I've I've learned is almost as bad or sometimes worse than overreacting Sixers Twitter. Michael Ruffle, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Isn't isn't all of Flyers Twitter overreacting Twitter? I think almost all of it, yeah. There's like there's a small nook and cranny where they're just like, hey, it's okay. We're gonna see how this plays out. Yeah, no offense, like no offense to Flyers fans because I love all y'all, but you guys get bent out of shape like so easily more than just got done saying aren't sixers fans the worst because they look for the negative and everything no but they get but they get bent out i think flyers fans get super bent out of shape because they think like everything is some like huge like slight against ice hockey or against them you know what i mean versus field hockey No, I always, I think it's just, I always I think find it funny. You always like this, say ice like, hockey, and it's like I don't, I don't know. Is anybody expecting us to play like roller hockey? Is, is this like thing? Like, is this like D three Mighty Ducks when they're out there hockey? like trying to figure it out I together? Know. Like, I don't but know. this is what you're making the point. You're making the exact point I'm trying to talk about. I say one thing that could be even like construed as as derogatory towards hockey, and somebody's offended by it. <laughs> Oh, it's ice hockey, you know, or like you don't fucking know. like like Flyers fans always say, why don't you write more about ice hockey? And then I'll like write a blog post about ice hockey and they'll say, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm like, so do you want me to write about it? Or do you not want me to write about it? Like Flyers fans just got to stop being so butthurt about everything all the time. Like I like hockey. I will watch the Flyers when they're on. We have two hockey dudes on the website. You and Anthony are down there all the time. So I don't write anything on the Flyers. It doesn't mean I dislike the sport, but like. Dude, like the chip on the shoulder that like a lot of Flyers fans have in this city, it's just like just you know, chill, man. Just take a step back. It's all good. Nobody's disrespecting hockey. Like, it's okay, right? man. Everybody just take a breath, bruh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mister Hand. I so like, I feel like Spicoli trying to like you know, look at just you, chill, man. You know. Um, here's the thing. You wanted an, an honest opinion. Here's my honest opinion. Michael Roffel's going to get paid 1.6 million per year over the next two years that's down from i believe the 2.3 million dollar cap hit that he's he's had on his current deal correct and he paid that for the last three years the guy played in his 400th game after playing in his 400th game he said he he doesn't want to go anywhere else he really does just want to stay in philly fine michael roffle is an interesting guy insofar as he really can fit on just about any line he really should not see the top line but in a in a pinch he's not a bad guy to have up there He's not by any means a dynamic player, but he's a guy who is a he's a decent glue guy. He's, he's not some six, he's not he's somebody like who's a gonna solid bottom six dude, right? Yeah, he's yeah, not so, somebody who's gonna put up a ton of points. But the the difference between him and a typical a traditional bottom six forward 
is he does have the ability that if he plays with good players on the top two lines, he can make plays happen for his teammates. Like if, if you would take Phil Veroni, who's a you know proverbial bottom line player, and, and you put him up on the top line, like you're not going to get anything good out of that. That's that's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Raffle can at least make it work in, in short stretches. So for a guy to, to make $1.6 million, like what you've essentially done now is you've said, if you're you're Chuck Fletcher, the GM, like now you've, you're essentially saying, I don't necessarily believe that we have the depth right now in terms of guys who are ready to go at Lehigh Valley to bring up next year. Like maybe they give a guy like Nick Abi Kubella a look. But th- this is like a, a pretty much a way to say like we're not gonna keep multiple roster spots open for guys like um, Isaac Ratcliffe who put in 50 goals this year or Morgan Frost who's like a two point per game player. Th- those guys aren't ready yet. I mean, it's possible that Frost gets a look in in training camp, and if he puts on some muscle and and he manages to stay healthy through camp, like maybe he gets a look, at, you know, in, in a, a short short term uh, yeah, yeah, thing yeah, next yeah. year. But like ultimately, like he. Michael Roffel to be a guy who's like a third or fourth line player for 1.6 million a year, that's not a bad contract. I know that, like, I, I think more than anything, the timing of it's awful because they've essentially been eliminated from the playoffs and it's like, hey, we've re-signed Michael Roffel to a two-year deal. And it just feels like that's being tone deaf as an organization and I get no, it. It just feels like a status quo, like all well, the flyers are being the flyers kind of. Yeah kind of move, but in a vacuum, it's not like the the worst thing ever. I, I, I don't like the, the Flyers ain't coming out and saying like, well, we've traded for Kucherov, you know, like people are like looking for something to be exciting about, but it's not going to like, you know, there's some housekeeping kind of stuff and they're getting the dude for cheaper than they were paying him already. I know people want something to be excited about, but it's not like it's like a whatever kind of move, you know? Yep. And he's a guy that like, look, I know that this comes up a lot, but he's a guy that a lot of the, um, the players in the locker room, like, and they're, you know, they're the similar kind of conversation or, or talking point was made about, you know, why you don't want to trade Wayne Simmons because you want somebody who's good in the locker room. And ultimately, like, Simmons is going to get way more money than, than the Flyers would have wanted to give him. But, like, Raffle as a, as a bottom bottom six forward for 1.6 million a year is is not a bad signing no and again I mean, this this gives you, you know. this gives you one more guy that's under contract before you go out and and go absolutely bananas in free agency if it's unrestricted if it's restricted free agency we've talked about that over on snow the goalie but like we'll break this down more over there but yeah i i think getting upset about bringing back michael Ravel to a more than manageable deal is just kind of silly there's nobody right now at the ahl level that i sit back and say yeah you know what he's taking this guy's spot if anything all right, maybe he ends up in the press box. Maybe he's a scratch next year. And again, at one point six million, that's not a big deal. So people yeah. need to like stop being worried and upset about it. So let's talk about this uh, about this ridiculous Phillies media policy that was um, shared today via Twitter. Um, the Phillies uh, emailed media members and said that they will pull your credential if you are found. Uh, using your phone like tweeting during the middle like while a player or a coach is talking that's so ridiculous i would presume that this means you can't like tweet live video or periscope a guy talking or like you know if uh gabe kapler comes out at his post game and he says bryce harper injured his tailbone and he's out for three years then you're what you're going to just sit there with your hands folded for the rest of the 15 minutes and then politely um tweet that afterwards like what the fuck are they trying to do I, i've never 
this organization has some of the most archaic and tone deaf media policies that I've ever encountered. I've, I've never, first of all, they don't credential anybody because they think it's just like, well, it's newspapers and TV stations and the oldest and whitest men that we can get here. You know, that's always what they've been. Um, they've always been hard to work. Even when I was at channel three, they were like hard to work with. Um, one of the people who works down there, I will not name he or she, I will leave he or she anonymous. I don't even know if he or she still works there, but he or she was the most unpleasant person that I've ever encountered in like 10 years of working in this industry. I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't really get the point of this other than to like, they're just old school and they don't get social media or they think it's like rude or something. I don't like, I wonder how much of it is, is honestly enforced by the league. Because I know that there are a couple things that that I've tried to do or I've wanted to do with the Flyers side of things um, post-game. And, you know, Flyers PR is is awesome. They're fantastic. Um, And there have been a couple times where I've said, hey, you know, can I shoot live video of the scrum, right? Because, like, we've got – there's plenty of TV cameras. Like, can we just do that? And it's like, no, it's a league rule. You can't do it. And I'm like, all right, well, that sucks. But at least I know – that it's it's the league that's saying it. It's not that the Flyers are the ones shutting it down. This thing by this the is Phillies. Video, this is video of of the screen. Yeah, like I, yeah, I can't okay. do like a periscope. But of, they don't let you. Okay, but they don't. But they also like normally what's standard is you're not not allowed to do like stills in the locker room either. Yeah. Like is that a fly? Like the Flyers have a thing against that? Yeah, I believe so. I guess if you can't shoot video, you wouldn't be able to do stills yeah. either. But yeah, normally you can't do stills in the locker room because like you can see shit in a locker room and like. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, but, but you know what I'm saying is like in, in that case, I'm like, all right, it's a league thing, whatever. Like I'm not upset. And I know that those people are, and I know yeah, those yeah, people are great. It's not just like, like again, a guy being a dick. To, he's not being a dick to you to yeah. be a dick to you. It's like, look, these are the rules. That and those people are great. Like I, like I said, it's it's not like I, you know, I'm, I'm in a constant battle with them. Like they're excellent about everything. So like, you know, this is, this is like the one thing that like I have to, I have to deal with. Like that's not a big deal. But this, this Phillies thing just really does right. feel like. This is an organization that decided that they wanted to make things complicated for the sake of making them complicated, and I don't get it. Like, this to me, you want to talk about, like, a way to get people interested in your sport, you need to start embracing social media. The idea of not credentialing a lot of of websites or blogs because, what, you, you want to be beholden to, like, the Inquirer, the Daily News, like... I'm sorry. Are, are you trying? Are you trying? Or like your but your and your credentialing on the other side of it, they're credentialing like the athletic, whose whose which founder came last out time and I checked that, doesn't have a hard you know a, a hard. No, copy. I mean they're the same. Aren't are they not on the same platform as we are? And their their founder said that they want to bleed newspapers dry and take all their people. You know, but you're going to yep. credential them while also having this faux loyalty to traditional media at the same time. That's a total hypocritical move and what what else is you're not you're not going to give any kind of credence to anybody who might actually know what they're doing that writes for a website but you're going to let howard eskin go down and ask questions about <laughs> coconut oil like gabe kapler's I know, the, the sanctity right? of the like, of be of having a phillies press credential is that a blog like crossing broad will never be allowed to go down there even though bob probably knows more about bob and anthony know more about baseball than like half of the people down there but you know howard eskin is going to be able to sit there and ask you know Gabe Kapler about jerking off in his blog, you know, because the traditional media, whatever the fuck. So the Phillies are just a straight up fucking farce when it comes to that, because it's all it's all hypocritical bullshit from top to bottom. Yep. 
All right, anyway, that's enough of that's enough of them. Like they get they get their five minutes and whatever. You know, I just it's yeah. just it's just dumb. It's dumb. It's archaic and it's it's really frustrating. And like you've got all this momentum of the Bryce Harper signing, you've got everybody excited, and then it's like yes, this kind of yeah, thing comes out. Yeah. And I know that for the for the most part, like this doesn't this this doesn't affect the fan, right? Like ultimately, this isn't something that that people are going to care all that much about. But I, I think this is maybe like the one thing that fans might not realize. This is why I think it, like the restrictive policy is a bad thing. You know this. When you go in for the scrums, there's body language that you can't see on camera. Uh, there are side conversations going on between players that you can't get. Um, and quite frankly, a lot of the questions that people end up seeing as part of the scrum coverage on a post-game live show, you know, that may, maybe gets two, three of the questions. Now, the Sixers, I think, are a little bit different because you're set up at the table just like the coaches. For the Flyers, at least, you know, when we're crowded around them um, in the locker room, you know, a lot of guys get asked six, seven, eight questions and on TV only like one or two get across. So like limiting what people are able to tweet in real time, I think does a disservice to the fans. Now, I think it's easy, you know, as I guess as a cynical fan, you could say, well, you're just complaining that like you can't do your job. It's like, well, no, I could. But now instead of, you know, there, there have been times where guys have dropped F-bombs, you know, in the middle of a of a scrum and you know that's going to get edited out on TV or that question's not going to be featured that we can like just go and pop out really quick and then it ends up being something where fans are like, oh man, like that guy's a real human being. Like he says bad words, you know, good for him. But I, I don't know. I look at this now and I think like this, this Phillies policy to me is dumb because now you're losing out on a lot of that breaking news side. It's almost like instead of trying to embrace the 21st century, you're trying to take this back to Babe Ruth. And I just think ultimately like it's, it's a, it's a bad call. Yeah. It's a bad I don't, look. I don't get it. I don't get it. So Whatever. why don't we why don't we go from a uh, a sport that seems to be trying to take us back in time and move us to the future? <laughs> As one of our favorite commenters oh, says God. on the site all the time, esports oh, are the future. Yeah, he was right, man. My God, not only are they the future, they're now going to be the present, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, the the present, the ghost of esports future, like yep. the Christmas uh, tale. Um, yep. Yeah. So. Um, what was your reaction when you found out that the very first uh, e-sports arena in the Western Hemisphere hemisphere was going to be built in the most progressive sports city in the in the world? <laughs> Thought to myself, I can't wait until my until I am surrounded by three thousand four hundred ninety nine of my fellow Overwatch fans <laughs> taking in Carpe and the whole Fusion Squad. <laughs> Just feeling that mad hype, bro. Yeah. Can you imagine what it'll be like when the when the if the Phillies and the Fusion are playing at the same time, and oh. it'll, like you get like dude with a terrible. I feel like the Phillies are going to be missing out on thirty five hundred of their fans who are going to be going across the parking lot, <laughs> taking in a beautiful Overwatch game with a Fusion. <laughs> It'll like be like some some dude. It'll be some dude from Mayfair with like a terrible Phillies calf tattoo, and he'll be wearing a Phillies jersey, a Phillies hat, and he'll have and his baseball, and he'll be wearing his baseball glove, and he'll be walking by <laughs> some dude dressed up as like Pikachu or whatever. The <laughs> the... Bigger, bigger. It's like you can you can only talk as anime characters. Is that what's happening here? No, I'm just like I just I I swear like I don't have anything against esports. There's I play gonna a be ton like some video games myself, but be, y'all but y'all are so easy to make fun of with the, yeah. There's, like, the cosplay there's gonna be like some guy like peeing on the side of a porter potty <laughs> in a Carson Wentz jersey, just losing it, and like somebody next to him is just gonna be like 
coaxing a friend to sleep. Jigglypuff. And you're going to be like, why? What is happening? Why? Um, the fusion. I'm just picturing. Now, be a dude wearing like wearing like a Fortnite cosplay, and he'll walk past like a 50 year old Delco dude in a Ron Hextall jersey, you know, and they'll just, just look at each say, other. Can we send Anthony Gargano to uh, to cover the first uh, the first um, event to happen at the Fusion Arena? I like want I want everybody who's been in the city for 20 plus years to go and cover it. Like send Gargano, Missinelli, Howard Eskin. Angelo Cataldi, I want them all there. I want them to cover it. Well, I would I w- love for I want this uh, yeah. to be like punked. I want them to think that they're going to some other like traditional Philly thing or like the Philadelphia Hall of Fame and like and they get all excited. They get they get dressed to the nines and then they show up at Fusion Arena and they're like, What's this place? And somebody like, was somebody pointed out on tw- on Twitter like that it would be funny as hell if uh esports became a thing on like local like radio and newspaper and stuff like that and all the things that we bitched about about with with real with quote unquote real sports would be applied to esports like callers would call up the radio and they'd say man carpe didn't even show up last night you know they should sit his ass for a couple game <laughs> for a couple maps dude you wouldn't know? that be amazing honestly <laughs> we're like i don't even know who the fusions coach who's the fusions coach let me, see, let me type this in philadelphia like they don't need a coach okay they if, have if like there's two, one thing you don't they have need two coaches. you don't need a coach for esports, all right. No, the only coach is yourself. Coach. You have intrinsic motivation. Okay, here's their coaches. They have two head coaches. Uh, they have say say we go, say we suey go, uh, and uh, Elliot Hayes. Like, can you imagine if the fusion lost? Fucking fire, Elliot Hayes. He can't micromanage at the end of the game. He's a nice guy, but he sucks. He's got to go. I wish I knew more about Overwatch. I can't get I, it. I, I can't take riff, take any more of this this Elliot Hayes, man. Let's take this back to games that we do understand for comparison. Uh, can you believe, dude? Can you believe that like Carpe went and picked up that plasma grenade on midship and didn't like <laughs> smash the guy in the head with it? Like he could have easily like sent him in for a double kill as the guy went under the base, right? Like, can you believe Carpe didn't like go pursue that sniper rifle on lockout, bro? Yeah, like, I can't, flex ta- their can't flex even tank like fucking oh. sucks, man. They need to like, flex. You tank. just have to like stand on the other Spartan's head and like <laughs> jump up through the back and like there's that real like open window that like leads you to that one. Like they couldn't kill the sniper, bro. Just like you know, like go crawl low, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, geez, it's not even that hard. Like get the rocket launcher <laughs> down below, man. Like. Oh my god, dude, like, this is, like, the update that, like, Bungie put out, man. Like, there's a carbine now. You don't even have to deal with, you don't even have to deal with the BR rifle, man. Like, come on. Come on, man. Like, if I'm making this, how can't Carpy do it? Dude? Seriously, that would be amazing. I want the equivalent of that calling up Sports Talk Radio. I think it'd be amazing. Right? Like, oh, let's get back to the phones. Like, Carson once goes out and throws three interceptions in the first game, and then, like, some guy calls up, isn't it? Like, Joe. Joe and Mayfair calls up. He's like, yo, I... Yeah, Carson Wentz, like, that was trash. But, like, can we talk about Carpe for a second? Like, I just, we got to two minutes left in the game. And, like, how's my man, like, not going out there? Yeah, like, you Mike, know, sealing uh, the deal. Mike from Taconi is calling. He wants to talk about Elk, Elijah Gallagher. Yeah, well, he fucking was throwing on that map, man. I don't even know what he was looking at. <laughs> I think he got to fire his ass. Oh, he's a player, not a coach. But listen, um, I, I love y'all, man. I, I'm a video game dork myself. I just played better video games than they play now. Because let's oh. be honest, Overwatch sucks. Fortnite sucks. Like they they all suck. Um, long gone are the days of like the original StarCraft and Diablo two and 
GoldenEye 007, Super Mario Kart 64, all the good stuff we played growing up, you know? Yep. These battle royale these battle royales can blow me, dude. Um what's the other one they play? Ave Apex or something? What's I have no called? idea what okay. that is. Well, there was PUBG, but PUBG. PUBG, yeah. right. But PUBG uh, got got smacked down. But, no, on a uh, on a serious note though, man, like what the hell? I'm I'm not gonna like you know, I made the point on it's always soccer that like it would be dumb for me as a soccer fan who took years and years of shit you know from people saying soccer is dumb and soccer is not a sport and soccer will never make it here and all this shit it would be hypocritical for me to sit here and then make fun of like esports you know because they're in the same boat that we were in 10 years ago and even like they're fighting some of the same battles that we're fighting like who am i to sit here and say um like people can't go watch you know people be competitive at video games like fine man i mean like it's it's a lot of the same things like you know, the esports people always say, like, well, you go to a baseball game to watch the very best baseball players do their craft, right? So is that not what people at this esports arena will be doing? Like, going to watch the best gamers in the world perform their craft? <laughs> is this not, yeah. like, the same argument that we had with, with cheerleading for years? Or people would always say, like, well, cheerleading is not a sport. But if anybody with two eyes could see that it took you know, a certain amount of athleticism. And even though like you'd go to the Perkyoman Valley and Phoenixville basketball game and the cheerleaders would just be cheering, right? They'd have their competitions that they do like every month on like a Saturday or something like that. So there was a, a sporting element to that as well. So I'm not going to sit here and like poo poo like the Overwatch League because, you know, the guys are like stereotypical dorks or whatever the derogatory, you know, however you want to, you know, make it a derogatory thing but like who am i to argue with like thousands and thousands of people watching these guys on twitch and uh you know they were on espn too you know we were sitting there watching like the overwatch league final where the when the fusion lost to uh like the london spitfire or whatever they were last year so i'm not i'm not gonna like it's very easy it's so easy to like to make the jokes about it and stuff like that but i'm not gonna i'm like not gonna be naive to like the success of esports or how well the fusion have done they had a launch party like a watch party for the beginning of the season like a couple of weeks ago where they like packed Xfinity Live. So I'm yep. not I'm not gonna sit here and, and shit on that. You know, like obviously I can do the joke routine like my video games were better than your video games or whatever, but I like knowing how much shit we took as soccer fans trying to sell that sport to everybody, I'm not gonna like turn around and shit on the same on, on those people as as people shat on me, you know? Yep. I mean it's amazing that Comcast is gonna go and spend five years of the Philadelphia Union's budget to go build a brand new well that was the that's what i was bitching esports about. arena like that's what i was bitching about on on twitter because it's just like from a and people t- and esports people took this the wrong way they thought i was like talking shit about gamers and i wasn't i was just saying like you know as somebody who spent eight years covering the union and you know all of us have all of soccer fans of philadelphia have worked very hard to kind of grow the union brand and like get people to care about a shitty team and stuff like that that it's another like kind of macro level defeat when you consider that the union are in a crappy city with a crappy owner and the fusion are in uh, the actual city with a great owner you know what i mean so it's just yep. like when when soccer was trying to compete against all the other four for four programs you're trying to get flyers fans and sixers fans and eagles fans to care about soccer and like give the union some love like now you're like sitting here thinking oh god now we got the video game team that's coming in they're going to get their own arena in south philly or whatever the hell you know yep so that's why it was kind of a more like a 
knee jerk like oh you know this, this is so union kind of kind of reaction you know so that's yeah, a shame at some point the union will actually <clears throat> get a real owner speaking of the union kevin a team that you used to cover uh they picked up their first victory of the season against the columbus crew and andre blake was not in net mm. for that shutout hint hint the other wink dude. wink no, i did listen thing. to it's always soccer in philadelphia today with uh I one that. kevin kincaid and uh, of course it's part of the crossing broad podcast network of course i, I have to listen that. to it and and I enjoyed it tremendously, but um, you know, here we are, Philadelphia Union. They reverted back to that beautiful four-two-three-one that made us all so happy and so successful for so long. Yeah, we had uh, Matt Ralph from the Brotherly Game on. It's always soccer this week, and it was a uh, it was a good episode. And um, what was I? There's one other thing I wanted to. Uh, oh, the questions. We had questions we wanted to get to. Yes, I was trying to think questions. what the last topic was. Yeah. Okay. I'm. Um, let me pull it up right now. Um. Well, ironically enough, here's our guy Wisecracks saying, do you buy in that esports are the future? Yes. But yes, seriously, I do. Like, let me ask you a serious question about that, okay? Um, what do you think is the crossover of fusion fans as far, and into the other typical, uh, you know, four for four Philadelphia sports? Well, I have a friend, uh, Steve, who is a um, Eagles season ticket holder. Uh, Flyers fan, Phillies fan. I don't know if he's much of a Sixers fan. But yes, there's crossover there. Um, I don't know. I I think, hmm. It's probably just, it's probably not sports in general. It's probably just the younger side of all those demographics. You yeah, know? yeah, I think so. And if so. you think that, like, the Phillies are probably the oldest fan base here and the Sixers are younger, like, I could see a lot of crossover with the Sixers and the Fusion. There's a lot, uh, like, in the Sons of Ben ranks with the Union, too. Um but I don't know, like, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Phillies and the Fusion are probably at the opposite ends of the spectrum, but I think, like, the Sixers are probably more accessible to the to the video game crowd, you know? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, la, 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 la. Uh, Jason Blevins at Philly Front Office says, ask Kevin about uh, white line fever. <laughs> so he was here, he asked... Well, he has been something about it a couple press conferences ago, and I guess it's like an Australian term. But I always thought white line fever was like was like a cocaine. snorting cocaine. Yeah, yeah. But I guess they had about multiple definitions or something. Like or in maybe Australia, he was just asking Ben different. if he snorts cocaine. Who knows? It's a Motorhead song, by the way. White line fever. Uh, Lemmy that? wrote it. So, uh, Aton Shander says, "Why don't you guys take more phone calls?" I don't know. Should we take more phone calls? <laughs> if we had phone a phone, lines are open for if the first time today. Phone. I was thinking of we you, do. I have a Google Voice. I have, I have a well, Google Voice number, and I have the. Let's go. I use the hook up into the landline for the always soccer interviews because I do them differently. So I was thinking of like opening my landline for a um, a union post game show at some point. But I'm Ooh. like, I'm like, I only got one line. Like, would I just hang up on the person and say, "Sorry, somebody else is calling." <laughs> First world like, problems. Like we got uh, Aton's calling in New Jersey, and he makes a point and said, "Oh wait, I got another phone call here. I got to hang up on you." Like he would be the most like, <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> like it's douchey. Like, Hello, <laughs> did you purchase three eBay gift cards at CBS Pharmacy? <laughs> Press one for yes. Para español, marque nueve dos. What was the robot impersonation that you're doing a couple podcasts ago? Was it the uh, one where they had, we uh, we were talking about the automated writing, like how the AP was using? Uh, all like robots to do their copy now. Oh, maybe that's and you it. were and you were doing like, should the Eagles fire <laughs> Doug Peters? <laughs> I had somebody uh, attack me on Twitter for saying that none of the voices I do are good, and I was like, man, 
No. That's just wrong. You did a good Bernie Sanders. Like, you did a good wrong. Bernie Sanders list. Listen, Kevin. No, I'm not going there. <laughs> I refuse to go there tonight. I do a Jesse Smollett. Can you do a Jesse Smollett? Your Honor, I was innocent of the crimes of which I have been accused. <laughs> that was Bernie Sanders <laughs> imitating Jesse Smollett. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give me another impression, uh, real quick. Um, let's let's make that guy happy. Give me one more. Do um. Gabe Kapler answering Howard's question about coconut oil masturbation. I have always enjoyed coconut oil. I use it as an alternative in my baking of brownies. I find its texture to be acceptable as a substitute. <laughs> That's Bernie Sanders as Gabe Kapler. <laughs> All right, let me finish this before this thing just goes like straight off the road. Uh, We're already there. <laughs> I guess it already is. It's it's derailed like Harry and uh, Aton shit. All right, Matt Sweeney says, uh, "Will you ban live tweeting during the podcast? <laughs> during, only during the Phillies podcast will we do that?" Yes. One. Uh, yes. Brandon says, "I'm only I'm oh I'm here for all of the fusion talk." Yeah, I mean, we did the fusion talk. Maybe it wasn't suitable for fusion fans, but I love all y'all. Maybe like we'll get over the hump and we'll do some actual strategy talk we'll talk about i will uh, learn yeah we'll learn will we learn will promise we'll promise to learn we'll, how about are the only six for six podcast our promise to you the crossing broadcast listener is that we will learn the overwatch league and we will talk about it in a in a serious and professional manner we will learn your ways um John, pa bias asks oh sorry. Uh, oh sorry pa bias asks uh who i dislike more penguins fans or the sons of ben um, Penguins fan. Well, your sons of Ben Rant spawned a, a spinoff podcast that uh, I'm working on. So. See, then it was a success. John McCooey says... Oh, wait, uh, hold on. Before we go... Hold on. Sorry. Before before we keep up. What? I tweeted a thing McCooey. out. This is sons of Ben related. Um, a friend of mine from college, uh, he had like um, he had like pancreatitis happening. Like He was down in St. Martin, and uh, his insurance wasn't going to cover him coming back to the U.S. It was a whole mess. Oh. And so they started a GoFundMe. I tweeted it out. Um, oh. I think the sons of Ben were like picking it back up. Yeah. So, um, to my, to my knowledge, there was a, uh, chance that the insurance company was going to pay for it, but I think they did open the GoFundMe back up just in case. Um, I have that tweeted out somewhere. I might pin that tweet to my, uh, to the account, but the last time I checked it was yesterday. They had just opened the GoFundMe up. Again, awesome. Man. So, uh, okay. So we're yeah. going to get, we're going to get him what he needs uh, one way or another. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's what it sounds like. Awesome. So. All right, um, John McCoey says, thoughts on the new uh, reviewable pass interference rule. Oh, um, they just did this a couple hours ago. Yeah, when I wrote, when I was writing earlier, they were still in the meetings. Um, so I, th- I think what they passed was that now all offensive and defensive pass interference is now like re- like reviewable or, or challengeable, I guess. Which is good. Although I think I, it's going to be really hard, right? Because like, what is going to be inconclusive evidence? Right, like obviously the the play that spawned this is what happened in New Orleans. Yeah, well, and in that, that was case, obvious. I, that was like, clear and obvious. That's very obvious. Yeah. But like, what exactly are we going to talk about here for pass interference? Is it going to be like a defensive player puts his hand on the offensive player? You don't really have a way to know for sure how much that affected the play. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. so is it going to be? The, I feel like this is just going to be another way that they're going to complicate things. And I think in theory, it's good for the really egregious calls. But yeah. the 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 ticky tack like the the touch fouls like I'm not sure how that's gonna work. Well, yeah, I mean because it's so it's so open to interpretation. You know, it's such yep. a bang bang play. It's like 
even when they review like the hits to the helmet and stuff like that, like you can slow that down enough to the point where you see, okay, there's a helmet making contact with a helmet here for sure. But like with pass interference, it's still just open to interpretation, you know, where did this guy leverage? Did he push off? You know, did he jump too soon? Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it'll be interesting to see how it, it'll probably be a shit show in the preseason, you know? And then uh, yeah. they'll probably iron it out. Um, Vince says, let's, let's be honest after Comcast, announcement today should you be Philly's seven for seven podcast I think we could be so we're six for six we're Eagles Phillies Flyers Sixers Union and Fusion is are those our six I guess so okay yeah, I, and well I remember I I expanded this to be uh in theory we could An cover the soul the soul seven the soul I had to ba- I had to body bag the soul on Twitter though because that was bad because yeah, that was good that's good yeah. on you but bad on that I don't usually do that I just felt like I had to defend myself so I was I was um, cornered John Connors says, uh, can you guys give a good explanation why the Sixers don't show up for games sometimes? Is it just a long season or something more concerning? And then also ask me for my long-term and short-term Flyers outlook. Yeah. Well, on the, the latter point, Anthony and I are going to be doing a, uh, a Snow the Goalie. I think we're going to record a Thursday night for a Friday release. We're going to um, recap the game and then kind of do a post-mortem on the Flyers. So I'll, I'll save that for over there. The the whole like not showing up and is it a long season like I, I think the Sixers are just kind of ready for the playoffs. I think these guys, like especially Jimmy Butler, like I don't think from his perspective he needs to do much more in this regular season to prove anything. I think he knows what kind of player he is. And ultimately when the postseason rolls around, I think he's going to be in prime optimal shape. I think shape. they're just on cruise control until the yeah. playoffs. And, I mean. and it's, been a, it's been a thing like on national basketball podcasts, it's been a thing with you know any kind of player who sat down with Woj or Zach Lowe or Bill Simmons like, these guys just talk about how long and monotonous the season is. And like, it doesn't matter if you're the golden state warriors who have, it's you know, too Steve long Kerr, Steve Kerr has come out in the past and said that the season's too long. I think that really is what we're seeing. I, if the season were 70 games, I think maybe you're talking about something different. There's here, just but like, no reason that the, there, there's no reason that professional NBA athletes should have to play back to backs. There's just no reason that anybody should have to play in Philadelphia on a Saturday night, get on a plane and fly to Chicago and play 24 hours later. Yep. You know, I know like, you know, with the revenue and the the gambling and the fan daily fantasy and all this shit, like I, I know that it's a money thing, but like you're just, you're killing these guys, man. And then that ends up hurting your product because it's oversaturated, you know, yep. and then you have, and then you have the whole thing with like Greg Popovich resting half of his, all of his team at once or whatever. So then it's, it's too far in one. It's like, I would love to cut it down to like 70, you know, and just eliminate all yep. back to back. So we don't, honestly, we don't, we don't need four Hornets Sixers games in one year. You know, like we just, we just really don't. I feel like they played them nine times. So do I. Um, there was that like real short stretch where it felt like all they were doing was played playing them like every three times the Hornets. in three yep. weeks or something. Uh, Joe, yep. Joe Plaza says, um, who loses their job first, uh, deserving or not, uh, Gabe Kapler or Brett Brown? Brett Brown. Probably Brett, right? Do you think they give yeah. Gabe Kapler the, a whole year, like if they're shitty this year? Yeah, I think so. You think he gets a full year? Well, you know, yeah, I think he does, and I think part team. of it. I think honestly, part of it does de- depend on like how how sincere Bryce Harper was in in saying that he in, enjoyed the interactions with Kapler. Like, if if part of Harper's honest reason was I think that Kapler could be a good manager, and like I I believe in in his vision, then like you're not going to get rid of the guy yeah. halfway through the season. I think the only way it happens is if like this team is in the basement and they're healthy, right? Because then that would mean that they've just massively underachieved. Yeah, but I think right, at right, some right. point then 
there'd kind of be that pushback to the front office. I'm still wondering well, why Kimbrell really have... hasn't been signed yet. Like that, that to me is the thing. Like I, I didn't think that the Phillies were necessarily going to go get Keuchel, but like the fact that that Craig Kimbrell still sits out there on the free agent market is is mind boggling to me. I, I'm assuming that his asking price is just too high, but like as a guy to come in and, and really solidify the back end of your of your bullpen, like I, I just think it's time. You know, I, I think this is the way that you you really fortify this this uh this team going forward and, and getting off to a really, you know, impressive start. You know, he's he hasn't had a spring training. He's not gonna get any looks, right? Spring training's mm. over, but like, you know, to get him and have him ready for like, say the end of April, beginning of May, like that would be nice. Um what was I gonna say? Gabe, there was, does Gabe Kapler have to do any managing this year? Doesn't he have to just like be a little more hands off? Yeah, I I think baseball's kind of done that for like knowing that next year there's gonna be a three batter minimum um, for every pitcher that gets brought in. I think that's gonna help. I think also knowing that he's not gonna have to make a lot of stupid switches like he did last year, like where it was you know Reese Hoskins is a defensive liability out in left field, and like do I want to shift him to first and then lose Santana or like dare risking having Santana play third, you know, like I, I, I don't think that you're going to see a lot of these issues, you know, rearing their head in, in another year. I, I think that Kapler, I think he's cognizant of, of the things that he did. Yeah. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe went a little bit too off the reservation on, like he might've gone the that pendulum of um, being innovative versus traditional. I think it might've swung too far in one direction. So now the, the, front office is probably telling him that he, he needs to kind of come back to somewhere around the middle. Um, but I think he's going to be okay. Like I, I, I don't think that if, uh, if Kapler were a psycho or if he were a guy that people thought was total, were was a, a guy who's totally incompetent, I don't think you would have seen a guy like Harper even entertain coming here. So yeah. I don't know. Well, we'll have to, uh, if he's struggling, we'll have to get Howard down there to ask him about coconut oil masturbation. Coconut oil. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On that um, note, Russ, I got well, I got to go. Oh, oh, okay. Right. Well, Chris Naffy asked about pre- predictions for uh, WrestleMania, but that's not for another oh, week or two. The women so. are doing the well, headline. Or yeah. Headline we're going to, we're going to cover that okay. next week. We've got Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, and okay. Becky Lynch. So live uh, on the program. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, they'll be here. <laughs> All right. I got to yeah, go. Absolutely. Man. Peace. All right. Uh, go check out Thanks the other shows on Crossing Broad. We love, hey, we love you. you. There you go. <laughs> Philadelphia Fusion's number one fan, Kevin Kincaid. Hey. Uh, find him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Carpe is my, uh, my boy. The, uh, the tentative schedule for Crossing Broad uh, Podcast Network this week is as follows. Of course, this show is uh, coming out, I'm, I'm assuming, as long as editing goes well. It'll be out uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Uh, Crossed Up will also be out Wednesday morning with Bob and Anthony. Go find them on Twitter at BW Crossing Broad at Ant San Philly. Um, Anthony and I will be doing a new Snow the Goalie on Thursday for a Friday release, and that'll be uh, available over on the Snow the Goalie channel. And you can find us, obviously, uh, at Ant San Philly at Joy on Broad. Kevin already released an episode of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Go check that out. And um, for those who are wondering about our thoughts on the UEFA Champions League, uh, and any EPL stuff, uh, Phil Kaidel and I will be back in this on the saddle in the saddle uh, next week with an episode of Crossing Broad FC. So go find him on Twitter at Phil Kaidel. That's K E I D E L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kaidel. For Kevin at Kevin underscore Kincaid. I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Follow us on Twitter. Check the description of this episode. You can find the links to our profiles. Go find us there. Go follow us there and keep the conversation going on Twitter. And uh, for Kevin. Uh, We will be back next week. 
uh, barring some kind of real interesting breaking news on the only Philadelphia 6 for 6, 7 for 7, 8 for 8 podcast, Crossing Broadcast.